Welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina, and this is another journey into creative business ideas and how they transform individuals and communities. Michael Jordan once said, I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. This quote always reminds me that if we do not feel fear, we cannot be courageous. If we do not attempt to overcome the impossible, we cannot create miracles. And if we do not fail, we cannot succeed. When you start your own business and enter the entrepreneurial arena, you are faced with the probability of failure. We often hear 90% of new startups fail, 75% of venture-backed startups fail, under 50% of businesses make it to their fifth year, and so on. The fear of making that initial leap of putting your creative business idea into practice is so intense, so real, and it can be so debilitating. The problem lies in the probability and not in the merit of the business idea, because the probability is closely linked to money and the complicated system that dictates who has money and who has not. My guest, Brian McMinn, knows this very, very well. And I'm so fascinated about what he's going to share with us today. He has had an extraordinary entrepreneurial journey spanning many different countries and spurred on by the question of why some brilliant startups fail while others that are perhaps not so great succeed. He decided to create a training academy for early stage entrepreneurs called Expert Dojo. There are unlike any other institutional investors or venture capitalists because they focus on the greatness of the individual and how that should override the complications of socioeconomic and ethnic origins. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Lots and lots and lots of points to unwrap there, right? <laughs> yes, I know. I'm really excited about this. I've got so many questions for you. So to give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there is a film soon to be released called Expert Dojo. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? I can. Um, I'm going to try and not go into the life of Brian because <laughs> that, that would take us all to a weird place. Yeah. So I, I started many, many, many years ago um, in Dublin. Uh, in Ireland, uh, which is obviously right next door to you, and then spent the next 10 or 15 years in and out of England, in London and in Birmingham and lots of other places, and um, started off a property development company, which went fine. I focused actually, you know, property in many ways is very, very similar to startup and very similar to other aspects of life too, which is most of it's in the buy. If you buy really well, and then you can afford to just stick in there with the journey all the way through, then it's hardly any, there's hardly any property in England that has actually fallen in the last 40 years, right? You just yeah. have to be able to hang in there yeah. until you make it through. So uh, we had a nice little, nice little teeny weeny little property empire, which did very well, and then had a nice consultancy company, and then took that consultancy company abroad, and then got swallowed up by Regis, which I'm sure everybody else, everybody there knows, and they're a great company, became friends with Mark Dixon, and helped them with their expansion throughout Europe. And then had a technology company that we, I probably went to about 40 countries or 35, 40 countries mm -hmm. over a period of about 15 years and lived in all those countries, everywhere from Mexico, China, Eastern Europe, um, South America, all the way through in Panama and 
Brazil and Asia, just so many other places. Yeah. Uh, so phenomenal experience. Found my way over to the US, uh, which is just a fascinating place because on one side of it, you got the craziness of the politics that everybody sees every single day, which is a big reflection of the society that's here and the divisions in the society. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, you've got just this wonderful center of entrepreneurship in the world where folks believe that they should go and do something special and crazy and different, uh, which is maybe a little bit different to how we were brought up, right? Yeah. We're, we're brought up to be safe and, mm. and to make sure that we're protected and we get a nice job and we don't do anything too out of the box or too crazy. And while they're entirely on the opposite end of the spectrum, so had a, a fantastic life over here, was in New York, was in Boston, was in Dallas, was in crikey, 20 other places, Chicago, and then found myself down in Santa Monica where I am right now, uh, which has the distinct benefit of just being a really sunny place, which Great. I like. And after years in China and Russia and goodness knows where else, I need a sunny place. And then I just started to, I didn't really decide to, I mean, right now today, we're the largest singular investor in early stage startups in, the, um, in Southern California. So we do more investments than anybody else. We do about one investment a week in the early stage startup space. But we started off as a laboratory for entrepreneurs because we just wanted to understand. I mean, you, you brought it up at the beginning of the talk where you said, hey, you know, there's so many challenges to success. and um, and how do, you, how do you overcome them if you don't know them? Mm -hmm. So we wanted to understand them. And so we, we brought in about 100 companies over a period of 9 to 12 months. And then we just studied them and watched them. And we didn't have any business model. We didn't have any intention of doing anything. We just wanted to understand the reasons why so many companies were failing. And that kind of took us to where we are today. Fascinating. That sounds like a jam-packed full. Part one, the essence of the American dream from a global perspective. So, Expert Dojo can be thought of as a business accelerator for early stage entrepreneurs, as you've just explained, offering mm -hmm. them a network of experts and mentors to guide them through this startup journey. And as CEO and founder, you have established this network while living in all the different places that you've uh, explained as well. So can you tell us a bit more about the journey that shaped you initially, that original vision you had for your life? So the first thing that everybody needs to understand is that generally speaking, this is not a war against failure, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, and I have really strong opinions on failure. I think that we shouldn't glamorize it or like it or think that it's even a possibility we should have a good relationship with failure. And that means that we should have a fear of what comes with failure, such as you know, losing your house, losing marriages, you know, not seeing your kids, getting depressed, all of the terrible things that come with failure. But we should have a, a, a healthy outreach to be able to at least come up to the edge of failure where we're prepared to do things which are outside what we're comfortable with doing. But that itself is not the problem within early stage startup. The problem within an early stage startup is that it is an elitist, sexist, um, racist, and all of the other ists uh, endeavor whereby every single founder of every great company that you see in the world has got two things in common, or at least the majority of the folks who have gone through the normal path, they all look exactly the same, and they're all the same gender, 
Mm-hmm. Um, most of them are related to somebody who's really wealthy. I mean, if you look at venture capitalists, I think the number is nine, uh, probably couldn't be nine, but 95%, 94% yeah. come from Ivy League schools. Um, and they're all, you know, boys. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the yeah. way it works. And what, what does that mean, of course? Then they go looking for founders who are from, yeah, surprise, surprise. The Ivy same League schools background. Who are, mm-hmm. who are all boys. Um, and that's why they all look the same and they, all, and they all feel the same. And so this is a real big problem. It's not actually... You know, there's unfairness in life everywhere, and you kind of find that as you go throughout life. And it doesn't excuse it, but you you understand it. The, yes. the challenge is when the unfairness goes to this level, what happens is everybody loses. You know, entrepreneurs lose, but society loses. Like the countries lose, and the entrepreneurs end up getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So I, I noticed that when, especially when I got to the States, and I wanted to create an environment which was slightly different. I wanted to really focus on kind of what we call bringing the beast out of the person, you know, have them have them not only acknowledge the fact that this is terribly unfair and terribly difficult, but actually embrace it so, and say, you know what? So did you mm-hmm. always think you were going to go into business, that this was your life passion from the start? No, and I don't think anybody knows their life passion. I think we all get impacted by our parents about what we feel we should do. Like yeah. if we see a fire brigade come by our house every single day and the firemen all look awesome and cool and, and they're, they're hanging out the side and they look happy, we want to be firemen, right? And if our parents want us to be an accountant or, or, or solicitor. So when we're young in life, we just follow the dreams that are of the people around us and the things that kind of affect us as, as, as we do it. And we move along that path. And then if people are really lucky, as I was really lucky, you get to a stage uh, where you get to find purpose. You get to find something which is really fascinating to you and really interesting mm-hmm. and straddles hobby and work at the same time. And, and I was just fortunate to get to that place, you know, at, at my early 40s. Yes. And when would you say that was exactly? Because, I mean, you've really undertook what could be described as an entrepreneurial adventure, which took you from one place to the other, different cultures and contexts. and when was the moment when you actually thought, well, of everything I've done up to this point, this is the thing I want to pursue is helping other startups or uh, mentoring them? Yeah, I mean, definitely the first time in my life. I mean, the thing about purpose is that it's when you believe that you have a certain skill and you believe that there's a certain problem that exists and the skill that you have or the people that are around you have um, has a real ability to make a difference, right? And yeah. very few of us that do that. Most of us even if we're starting our own companies, are we really making a difference? Well, you know, our widget is good and, and it exists when no other widget's out there. But, you know, it's very difficult to get that sense of purpose where you go, damn, actually, I have the ability to make a mark on the world, which yeah. I would never have been able to do before. So it's super and do powerful. You have that now? So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because it's so entrepreneurship. There's, there's a number of moons aligning in the world today. But number one. We can't afford, especially in America, um, but in many other places in the world as well, with the cost of living and with the amount that people get paid, we can't afford to make it to the age that we're going to make it to. Like It's really depressing that we get to live an extra 5, 10, 15 years longer, but there's no way we can pay for all of the things that are required to actually get us to that age. So the only way to break that bondage, per se, of, of the chains of having to work for somebody else is start a company like start it early start it with knowledge now there, yeah. there are barriers to this as well mm-hmm. but if you can nail it there's a number there's one number and that is 12 million dollars and 12 million dollars is enough money to live comfortably for the rest of your life and some people might say 
Brian, we don't need $12 million. I need a lot less. No, no, that's probably the case. You could live on less. But a normal person in pretty much any country, in any city, can live very comfortably for their whole life for $12 million. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my world kind of moved to a place of how can we make sure that every single person in the world, no matter where they come from, no matter what their background, no matter their culture, no matter their gender, they have the ability to have a, a possibility the same as everybody else of being able to achieve that and do it themselves. So from what you've learned up to now, what would you say are the three most important business truths to help people accomplish this? Yeah. So you have to, there, there are three types of people in this world. And I actually only realized this probably two or three years ago. Um, I always used to believe there were two main types of people, just to generalize. Mm-hmm. There's people who are lazy or people who don't have motivation or people who are happy just to roll with the flow and just go wherever it's going to be. And that's okay. Like they, maybe they have other motivators in their life that keep them happy. And, and maybe they don't. Maybe they just really like being lazy and having no motivation in the world. And then you've got people who really want to make money, right? And, and, and I'm talking very specifically in this, you know, uh, how do I want to be financially in the future? Um, and, and so they were what I always believed was before. But then when I realized there's a third group of people, and that third group of people are people who are wealth generators. So for them, it's not earning £100,000 and spending you know, £98,000 and the next year having £150,000 and getting a nicer car and getting a nicer house and then having a bigger mortgage and then spending £147,000. It's about generating wealth so that you don't have to worry about money every single minute of the day. And the thing about whether it's purpose or whether it's enjoyment or whether it's about being able to do what you do, having a little bit of financial freedom gives you the ability to do that. So number one is just be a wealth generator. Make sure that you can relieve the pressure off yourself that times like COVID-19 are going to cause. So right now, there are so many people who don't have enough money to pay for the basic things in life. And that is insane. Mm -hmm. It is insane. All of us, when we're kids or when we're early adults, should be making sure that we're squirreling enough money away so that we're covered for a couple of years at least. Yeah. And people don't. They, well, what's actually yeah. turned out is m- most people have got like a month. <laughs> they got a month and they're saying, oh my God, this is terrible. It's May. I'm mm-hmm. like, come on. Like, you gotta, you got to rethink what your life is and how it's working. And the constant stress of trying to make money is really tough. So number one, be a wealth generator. Number two, and I, I can dig into how you can do that afterwards mm-hmm. as well. And number two is, you know, find your purpose, find your creative spirit. It would be such a shame to come on this earth and to settle on the very first day. And I'm not suggesting everybody give up their jobs and that they start an entrepreneurial endeavor tomorrow. You can do this in many different ways. It's just about motivation. It's all about motivation. There are things broken everywhere in the world. And you don't need to be a Thomas Edison to come out with the greatest invention that's ever been brought to the planet. You can just be a normal person. Like I, I, saw, I saw this group the other day that did an Indiegogo campaign for a, a Bidu, a mobile Bidu, okay. where you, you can carry it with you in your bag. And they just made a couple of million dollars on yeah. an Indiegogo campaign. So there's, you can do stuff part-time, full-time, but for goodness sake, don't just go through life making it to the finish line and saying, oh my goodness, thank goodness I made it. I, I just got to death. And mm-hmm. um, without bringing your own unique form of creation to the world, whether, irrespective of whether it makes you a tremendous amount of money or not. Um, and then, I, you know, the last point that I would say is learn how, how to listen. You know, I've been so fortunate. I, on one level, like you asked me about purpose and job and those types of things. Yeah. 
And that's definitely with it with Expert Dojo. But it, within life, I made a really conscious decision very early that I wanted to see the whole world. Mm-hmm. I wanted to meet everybody. I wanted to understand everybody. I wanted to learn from everybody. There's so much out there. And so many people get torn into sitting in their house, watching Netflix, going to bed, having two beers with their dinner, and then doing the same thing the next day and the next day and the next day. And there's a huge world out there to explore. So there's three of them for you. I agree with all three of those truths and especially the last one. I mean, that's what I try and do is encourage people to try new places, to try new businesses. And yes, so thank you for sharing that. What I'd like to know before we move on to part two, just so you've lived in all these different countries and your ideas develop about business and what you want to do and you've moved to America. How did that, just the society in America, change your point of view about which businesses succeed in particular and which ones won't? Yeah, so you, you need to understand. So understanding the system, kind of to my to my point about listening and understanding, mm-hmm. understanding the system is is a real shocker when you come here because what you realize is, let's take Uber as an example. Uber is a terrible idea. <laughs> it's just a terrible idea, and and so is Lyft. Because so think of the reasons like why do people use Uber? I know I know why they tell us why we use Uber. Why why they tell us is. Yeah, because it's cool and because we can just tap on a phone rather yeah. than um, having to make a phone call, although I don't see that as a huge innovation, um, or that there's lots of lots of drivers who are untrained as opposed to fewer drivers who are trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but I promise you one thing. If tomorrow the world was told the taxis get to change their fare to take me from, Santa, from LAX airport to Santa Monica for $19, and Uber and Lyft have to change their fares from $19 to $55, which is where the taxis were, absolutely everybody on the planet would move to taxis. So here's here's the challenges with Uber as a model. Number one, it is what I call venturism, right? And venturism is if we start with like the, the way we'd like it, and then we go worse from there. So the way we like it is good form of capitalism, fair. Let's call it conscious capitalism, right? So yeah. good capitalism, Companies come in, they make money, they don't do any harm to the world, they bring in revenue, families eat, and generations can possibly can do well from that. The next level is socialism, which, you know, I don't need to say much about socialism, but it's not the best in the world. But I actually put venturism below socialism because venturism is when a venture capital company or multiple venture capital companies prop up a failing loss-making company for years and years and years and years and years and years and years forever and then and so how is that good for anyone uber have lost billions not millions not hundreds of billions billions of dollars every year since they started and i would maybe forgive them if they just if they did it for if they had some kind of way to make profit in the future but there's no visibility until we have autonomous cars there is no visibility to Uber ever making money. How is that good? Part two, conscious investing in powerful business ideas. So taking your example uh, of Uber, and you would obviously say this was not entirely a powerful business idea. Perhaps more than anything, you're inspired by the hard truth of how to grow and have a successful business. So without the sufficient funding, which in the case of Uber, they did get the funding and that's why they were allowed to go ahead and grow 
at the moment. But even if you have a great business idea and you don't have that funding, you you can't you just can't make it happen. So yeah. take us back to the beginning, to the moment you thought of the name Expert Dojo, which is your training academy, and the vision you had for it to to change this kind of situation. Yeah, because you you articulated very well. The problem is what dictates a successful founder with the biggest companies in the world is their ability to raise money. It's not their ability to be able to build greatness, and that's very sad. So. You know, I looked at this and I thought, crikey, this can't be everything that the world is going to give us. Like we work, look at that debacle where, you know, they lost millions of billions and billions of dollars. And it was only when a few whistleblowers said, this is ridiculous. We're calling this a tech company. And they're not. They're the same as Regis. They just provide office space. And there's so many more companies like Casper, the mattress company. There's Compass, the real estate company here. Again, they took in hundreds and hundreds of millions, maybe billions again. But they were just a real estate company. They were no different. Yeah. So the idea is that the public are pretty stupid and the public will just buy into the fact that if something's a unicorn, it should be great. And that entrepreneurs are very manipulable. So all you have to do is just keep on giving them money and taking greater shares of their companies. And then what happens is the venture capitalists actually own these companies. The, the, uh, the founders don't okay. own them anymore. Even yeah. if, you took, if you took Lyft as a great example, the founder of Lyft has less than 1% in the original company they founded. Less than 1%. So who owns these companies? Vulture capitalists, venture capitalists. Now, here's the problem. I am one of those, right? Uh, the problem or the solution, whichever way you want to look at it. So when I came down to Santa Monica, we did our laboratory. We learned a bunch of things about companies. We saw that, that really founders had a toxic relationship with investment in general. And suddenly investors were becoming the rock stars, which is all broken, right? It should be the entrepreneurs yeah. who are the rock stars okay. that are breaking through. And there's no focus on, on um, growth except for just taking the money you raise and then using that for growth. There's no focus on brand or any of the great things that I believe as a, as a I would say, progressive traditionalist that I believe are, are really important within startup, within building a company. So we thought, okay, we have on one side of it, we have everybody saying that they're an expert. Like you walk into Los Angeles, especially, I was like, hey man, I'm the, I'm the greatest brander. There's, and, and no, they just went to a community college for like four weeks yeah. and they considered themselves to be the greatest brander. Our other people, everybody watches too much Tony Robbins or they watch some life coach who had a train wreck of a life, which, you know, motivates them to teach other people how not to have a train wreck of a life somehow. And then it just went on and on and on like this. And we thought, you know, what we want, we just want to acknowledge one very simple fact. And that's that there are no experts. We're all on a path and we're on a path to getting better. And by working together and by listening to the small bits of brilliance that come from individuals, whether they be old or young or entrepreneur or mentors or, or angels or anything else, then we all get stronger. Um, and the dojo as a concept is a brilliant concept of, if, even if you look at the martial arts and the belts yeah. that they have and you're, you're never finished. Like it's yeah. always about striving. Yeah. yeah. And even you get to black belt, there's no end. There's black belt one and two and three and four. Yeah. So we wanted to create this environment that, if we're going to break through, I mean, we invest. Look, we invest $100,000 into companies, and we do about one a week. And we have been doing that for about 18 months, and we're going to keep doing it for the next two or three years. And we probably even do more investments on top of that. But the real area, what we say to entrepreneurs is, look, don't care about our money. The $100,000 is not going to save your life. What we need to do is build a really strong foundation for a great company. And we need to do that as part of a program. And we need to be able to make sure that you come out of it the other side stronger in the areas that will make you more resilient as a founder so that you're not reliant on, on getting additional money. If you get additional money, fantastic. But make the investors want you rather than you being desperate for the investors. That sounds really, really 
great for any small business, any entrepreneur, any uh, person thinking to start a business. And Expert Dojo is now the largest training academy for entrepreneurs in Southern California, if I understand correctly. Mm -hmm. So you describe yourself as a conscious venture capitalist and what you actually offer clients go beyond just finding investors. But from my own experience, that early looking for investors is quite a mind boggling and rather daunting task once you start your business. So can you perhaps just quickly give us an overview of what's the difference between, for example, angel investment, venture capitalist investment, and why would you say a startup from your point of view would potentially prefer one to the other? It is very confusing. I mean, to look, te technically, everybody can be an investor, right? If somebody came to yeah. you today and said to you, hey, we're going to go back in time and we're going to invest in Tesla, and we're going to invest in Tesla 10 years ago or 15 years ago, mm -hmm. whenever it was started, you would say, great, I'm an investor. And you would, you would scramble every penny you could to make sure that you can invest in this company. So on one side of it, you know, in, there's um, if we start from, from the top, maybe, um, and the top is... Folks like SoftBank and Sequoia and NEA, the largest venture capitalists in the world, and they have monster funds, and their funds are four, five, six billion dollars. And they deploy that capital in tranches and chunks of 10, 20, 50, 100 million dollars, maybe a billion dollars. And there was a huge company just got a bunch of investment over in India, and Facebook put in like 1.4 billion. And then there's a bunch of other companies that do the same thing. So those companies, there's only one thing they do. And that is that they find companies that are at a later stage, and at that later stage, they'll invest money into them. They'll never move earlier in the chain because they don't want a high risk. They know that at their level, probably one in three, one in four companies will make it. They pay a higher valuation, but only, but, but, but most companies, or at least 50, 40, 30, 40, 50% will make it through. Then you go further down the chain, and that's called Sirius um, D, E, F, maybe Sirius C, later stage. Then you've got Series A and B. And Series A and B is the companies are not worth as much. Maybe they're worth 10, uh, probably 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, maybe a tiny bit more. Um, and the investors who are investing in those companies are putting maybe $5 million in, $10 million in, maybe a tiny bit less, a tiny bit more. And they know they get less of the company. But again, they know that the failure rate within those companies is probably you know, a little bit, a little bit worse than the later stage ones, mm -hmm. but they put their money in there because they specialize there. And then you go all the way down to our end. Now, our end yeah. is right at the beginning. It's when a company has created a product, maybe got their concept in place, maybe they have a tiny bit of traction, and but it's very hard. Like We can't do math like the other guys can do math. And when they do math, they say, okay, we've got this company, they're doing $100,000 a month. If we get X amount more uh, investment in advertising, they'll be able to do this, X by such and such, and they can work it out. And, and bar just anomalies or Murphy's Law, the probability tells them what that company should get to. Yeah. Um, and then you have us, and we're right at the beginning. Um, and then we know that our only objective is when we bring companies in, we know that afterwards they have to get to seed, and then they have to get to Sirius A so that they can reach these other boys and girls who are going to invest in the later stages. And um, so we'll normally take a company in very early. They're worth a couple of million dollars. Their concept is just in place. Uh, we'll invest $100,000 into those companies. And we'll take normally about a 7% stake in it if we do $100,000 into the company. Maybe we'll do $50,000 if they want less, and we'll take a 3.5% stake in the company. Um, and that's when, after that is when it gets interesting. So we will, of our companies, the vast majority, I think in our last cohort, 
of 12 companies that we brought through, 11 were minority or female founders. Like female founded was 40% and minority are female founded. Like this, this current cohort, we have three Indian companies, we have three African companies, we have two Korean companies, one company from the Philippines, a company from Finland, hey, hey. Okay. Um, and then another company from Argentina, another company from the British Virgin Islands. So, so our it's companies really are very global. Very diverse. And, and that's, that's our, by the way, so that's our area. We, we, everybody has to look for what is it that makes them special. Is us being an accelerator and me just caring about the entrepreneurs who are going through, does that make us special? Yeah, it makes us, it makes us more, more amenable when we talk about what we do, but it doesn't make us more successful. So we have to find out what makes us more successful. So, you know, I and my, my partners and my colleagues said, what are we good at and what do we know? We know the world, right? And we know that there's great founders. We know two things. We know that actually greed has laziness limitations and we know that the world is great, okay? And then we also know, actually, in addition, probably more topical today, is that we're in this very this awful environment where it seems like all of our governments just hate anybody who's outside our countries and they want to destroy everybody. And it seems that actually there's a movement within our people, whether it's Black Lives Matter or anything else, whereby you know, folks are saying, this is not how we feel just because it's how our, our, our countries feel. So all of that was a groundswell to us thinking, why don't we just provide a bridge to America? We know all of the money is in America. We know that every the biggest market, or one of the biggest markets, maybe outside India and, and China that we don't care about, but um, one of the biggest markets is definitely America. So why don't we just create a bridge to America? And that's what we did. Um, so we, we've created this, this opening to the rest of the world. We have scouts all around the world. We take in companies. We took in a great company from England, actually in our last cohort, right. um, Anna, a company called Sensate, uh, with one of the best CEOs I've ever had in the dojo. Um, she's exceptional. And that company is doing fantastic. And they did raise money. She raised money over here, and she did an Indiegogo campaign, a crowdfunding campaign which was phenomenally successful as well. What, is, what do they do? So very brilliant. So she is partnered with a Harley Street doctor. And the Harley Street doctor worked out that um, we're all really stressed, which I think probably everybody knew, <laughs> right? But we're done. Everybody's really stressed. But it turns out that there's a nerve which is inside our bodies, which is called the Vargas nerve. And the Vargas nerve is tied into a very real science. And if you can make that Vargas nerve happy, then it makes our stress less horrible. And um, so they created a device, uh, like if you imagine something terrible like Parkinson's, like how does, how, how do people abate Parkinson's in its most extreme form? Well, they use vibrations, right? And if you can have certain vibrations and you can have wristbands and you can have leg bands and you have vibrations, then it helps deal with something like that. It's very similar with something like the Vargas nerve. So they have a device which you hang on your chest and then they have music which you play in your ears and the device in your chest is merely a series of vibrations. And those vibrations are tied very much in, into the body. And it sounds very foo-foo, but, but they're, they're, people love them. Uh, they absolutely mm -hmm. love them. And, and, you know, we need, there is real science behind how our biology works. And there are things that we can do to our body which just makes our body better. And whether it's something as simple as just eating better or whether it's making sure that the right vibrations go through, then it's yeah. the same. But you know why we invested? It wasn't so much about the device. Uh, we really liked the device. We invested because of her. She fits that beast mode of entrepreneurs that we knew could just break through. We knew she's going to come up and like all of the Ivy League school boys are going to look at her and they're going to be shitting in their pants. And then all of the, um, the investor folks who, who would have probably been biased before would have realized that she's going to be a better CEO of a public company 
than any of the patsies that they already have lined up. So we knew she could break through. Hmm. Right, that's fascinating. And I was just thinking if you could maybe talk us through. So say there's a company or there's someone with an idea and they want to get investors and they think, well, okay, well, they'd go through you. What are the steps they need to take? Like, do they have to do the specialized program or... If you could maybe just explain a little bit more about that. Yeah. So number one, we don't, we nobody, we don't really have a product that anybody can mm -hmm. take an expert dojo. Yeah. We only invest, and then all of the training that we do is for the folks who come through the program. But okay. to your point, when people are looking for investment in general, and I mentioned all of the people on the top end of the funnel. Number one, other accelerate us and accelerators. There are thousands in the world. You just have to decide which one is best for your particular product. There's so many, and there, there's there's genuinely lists that you can find. You can find them on AngelList. You can find them on Crunchbase. Uh, you can find them even if you just Googled accelerators in the world, and you will find literally thousands. And then you research those accelerators and see which ones that's good. Like there's one the Adidas family have, which are great for if you're a esports person. Um, and then so you find out what's your speciality. For many people, they will look at what we do and say, no, that's not right for us. Mm -hmm. So don't just take money. That's my whole message in this podcast. Yeah. It's not about the money. The money is just a facilitation to get you to go faster to where you need to go to with the least amount of dilution. So look up all accelerators, find the ones that you like, apply to them, send LinkedIn profile messages to the founders of those accelerators and to the people who work in those accelerators. All of us see our LinkedIn messages. And if you think it's really good, just be, you know, just be persistent on it because a type of persistence really ties into the types of entrepreneurs we go after. And then alongside that, by the way, if you're really early stage, there's a lot of people who are just have money. They're affluent. Right? And all of those people, they may or may not classify themselves as angel investors, but they would classify themselves as intelligent people who would like to make money from, from making sure that their risk is diversified. So I would never say, whenever I'm with other investors, I would never say you should put all your money into startup. I would say you're insane if you do that because startup is very high risk, but it's also very high return. Mm -hmm. And if anybody ever saw that movie about Edison, there's a recent movie that just came out about Edison and Tesla, and it's really fascinating and how electricity came around. And if you look at it, you'll see that the person that invested in Edison at the beginning later became the owner of General Electric. And General Electric are a multi-billion, probably trillion-dollar company. And then if you look at the people who invested in the Wright brothers, then they became a fortune as well. And if you look at folks like J.P. Morgan, they were original investors in startups. So here's the deal. If you invest, and, and I don't want anyone to get carried away with this, but I just want them to understand why we do what we do over and above purpose, helping the world and everything. But there's a very specific monetary reason for doing it. If we invest in a company at a valuation of $2 million, and let us say that company then grows to a valuation of $200 million, and let's say there's no dilution, right? There can be, there, there, normally there is dilution, which would bring it down, but I'll keep it just very simple for everyone. Let's say there's no dilution, which means no further rounds. They just became worth $200 million. Then our $100,000 just became what? $10 million, right? Actually, it just became, depends on what we came in. Like we came in on $100,000, which is, uh, let's, say the, let's say the company is valued at a million dollars. We came in at, at $100,000, which is 10% of the company. Then that $200 million that it just grew to, we now have $20 million. Like yeah. our $100,000 just grew to $20 million. But like, take it a step further. Billion dollars are not unheard of, billion dollar companies. There are many, many, many billion dollar companies out there. 
So suddenly, our money, which was $20 million, has now turned into $200 million. So the upside in startup, now what's the downside? Very few companies make it to that status, yeah, right? Exactly. But, <laughs> that's but what I was thinking. the upside is, so don't just do one company. So that's why we invest in so many companies, mm. because we know you have to do a spread. And we don't want all of our companies to be billion dollar companies, but if one or two or three make it through, then what you do is you create what I said at the very beginning of the podcast, which is generational wealth. And um, everybody should strive to create generational wealth. It is not about being rich. That is a word for poor people to use when they're bitter. Creating generational wealth means that you're taking care of your kids. And actually, you know the ones who are the best at doing it? Indians, Indians, Pakistanis. You watch how they come into England. Even 20 years ago when I was over in the UK, amazing watching these people. They come in, they take a small shop on the corner, and then their small shop turns into a spa shop. And then their spa shop is feeding like five cousins that are over in India or Pakistan and waiting to bring these people over. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful system that allows people to build greatness. And if you look at the Indian community that are over here today, they are all technologists. They're all building huge technology companies and they're building massive generational wealth. And one of the biggest angel groups in America are the Indians. So everybody listening, some of you will have a bunch of money, some of you will have less. Everybody should look into having a small portion of your portfolio investing in early stage startups, especially because in the UK, there are phenomenal tax credits for people who do that. Part three, the art of startup wars. So every day we are on the brink of entering into the future without ever truly knowing what the future holds. And that ties in a little bit into the idea of we can invest into these startups. We don't know if they're going to succeed or not. It depends on the needs of the day and by implication, what businesses will be valued. And this changes on a daily basis. So some businesses make themselves invaluable through their own accord and others are made invaluable through the circumstances. Case in point, just the COVID-19 crisis, which obviously made us more reliant on online services. So from an investor's point of view, can you firstly share some of your recent success stories. I know you've mentioned the the company based in the UK, Senate, was it? But yeah, some Sensate, other, yeah. Oh, Sensate. Some other um, success stories. Yeah, and I, I, I actually want to put it into an analogy, which I think people will really understand. Mm-hmm. Investing in startup is like, it would be like investing in a little baby boy or girl. Like they just get born, very yeah. first day. And you sit in front of the baby boy and girl, and you're like, uh, I want to own a part of this baby like i own a part of it so do i want this baby or this baby or this baby or this baby if 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 all of us had shares in ourselves we would look and say well it's just an idea it's just a baby teeny weeny little baby so i don't know yet now let's fast forward to that baby becomes three years old right now we want to choose between one of seven or eight babies so so success will leave clues and if, if what we're saying is the value of the baby as per like what they can earn in the future is going to be seen beforehand. You can start to see the geniuses being made early, right? And you can start to see who walks first and you can start to see who talks first. Like there are clues in the very, very early stage in startups. So what we do is we are futurists or we are studiers of future trends. We look for current forces that are driving future trends. 
So right now in a time of COVID, it's a great time for us because number one, it cleans the water. It's like any kind of hurricane, yeah. it cleans the water. So we can see which startups that have got the best opportunities and which opportunity, which startups have got the worst. And, and so for example, you know, online learning, we may have thought online learning was good six months ago, but online learning is awesome today. Yeah. Distributed learning, the future of work. Like we just invested in a company, which is the future of work based on sensors, and based on meshing, homeworking and mobile working and office working, being able to tell how productive people are so they can work in different places. That would have been okay a year ago, but today that is awesome. Um, we also invested in another company which is telemedicine. Uh, and it's all about, uh, there are doctors in Egypt, really strong entrepreneurs starting off a practice in Egypt and their practice is about being able to provide lower cost medical services and strong recommendations based on where people can go. So if you're in England and you want to get your kidneys done or something else, you can now go to a hospital over in the Middle East with better doctors, right? Rather than waiting in the NHS for the next, I don't know, lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so for us, we like look at these, we, we look at these areas and, and these, we look for clues as to what's going to be, uh, what's going to go forward really well. Now, uh, like one great example of a company we invested in, we, we, our first investment was two years ago, by the way. So we will be we will know within five ten years kind of what's really yeah. happening with those companies but like great early successes we invested in a company seven eight months ago called star news and star news could not get investment anywhere else and because they were working out of africa and their whole their whole concept was we're distributing influencer data to local africans by creating a exclusive relationship with the mobile carriers and also with the agents for these influencers we thought it was fantastic. I mean, Africa, they don't really have apps in Africa. Everything is about mobile phones and texting. And for me, if you have an exclusive relationship with Orange or one of the main companies over there and you're distributing data already, it's fantastic. So we invested in them. And right now they just raised another $1.8 million um, for yeah. their seed stage. They're doing $300,000 a month in revenue. They're probably going to do $800,000 a month in revenue by September. By next year, they'll be at $2 million a month in revenue. Just a great success story, great company out of Africa. Nobody else paid any notice to it. Uh, we have a phenomenal company, uh, which is called Shipsy. And Shipsy are all about um, last mile delivery within one hour. So you want to buy something in your local shops and you want to get it, then they have APIs. They have a, a, a technology integrations uh, with companies like Postmates and Uber Eats and everything else whereby you go to the shop and it's like, do you want it delivered in 48 hours? Do you want it delivered in 24? Or do you want it delivered in one hour? And actually, it's less expensive in many cases to have it delivered in one hour than in 48 hours. So those guys are flying. They've raised a ton of money, valuation about 15, 16 million dollars. Uh, we have another one of our companies, GeoJam. They just brought in Mariah Carey as their chief talent officer. Mm -hmm. uh, we have another company, uh, which is Anya over at Happy Again Pet. And she's signed up at uh, the Dog Whisperer, if anybody. I know the Dog Whisperer is pretty popular over in England, Caesar Milan. Yeah. So he's just signed up as her, as her partner. And um, she's also brought in Halle Berry uh, as one of, the, one of the, um, her resellers of her product for human grade material as well. Uh, we have a, uh, another really, we have about five other cybersecurity companies that are flying, like nobody would know them. That must be important now too. Or like, oh, it's always been important, so but important. like, yeah. It's so important. It's so important because we've lost the war already. You know, there's mm -hmm. two types of cyber people. There's those people who are there for evil and they're for good. Like it's yeah. a proper Star Wars movie. And the people and the evil doers are winning and they've been winning for years. And with 5G coming out, everybody's doomed. 
because we now have nothing protecting our devices and they can break in from everywhere. They break in through our fish tanks, our ovens, our everything. Like right now, if somebody has a smart oven and you get some kind of cyber, cyber freak outside that wants to mess with you, they can turn on your oven in the middle of the night when you're on holidays and set your house on fire. So it becomes like a real, a reality, like a very dangerous reality at the moment. Yeah, so we've got lots of our babies are moving forward very yeah. fast. All right, well, that sounds great. And I mean, we've been discussing business. Now, all of these are different business ideas, if you like, but the actual term itself can encompass so many different sectors. And I think that's what you've just captured. So from your point of view, if you had to just summarize business, what would you say it is? What is implied by it? Creation, really. Okay. Just creation. It's, that's, that's the beautiful thing of business. Like you either work for somebody else and you live their dream and you help them build their dream, which is okay. Yeah. It's okay because you get to feed your family and take care of stuff and that stuff's important. But creation is just a beautiful thing. Creation is what you have inside and it's, and it's the ability to be able to turn that into something which is sustaining. So if you don't have, like if you're just doing creation and it's a hobby, it's just there for fun, that's okay. That's not business. But if, you, if, you're, if you're embracing creation in a way that you want to make this something that you're engaged with for the rest of your life in a way that you're not going to have pressure on top of you, then that equals business. Okay, I really like that definition. And what would you say is the most important question any entrepreneur should ask themselves either before they start, commit to a business idea or during the initial growth of their business? Or even say they're five years down the line and they hit a wall and they would like to know what next? So number one, entrepreneurship is a journey, right? And it's not just a journey between failure and success and saying, oh, I failed in this company, I'll start another one. It's also about you know, completing the project and completing the full picture. So think of it as a jigsaw. When we, and and a, lot of, a lot of people talk about, oh, I, he pivoted or she pivoted or they changed. And I don't believe that at all. I just believe it's a jigsaw from the beginning. I believe that what happens is you come up with an idea um, and hopefully you've opened your eyes and you found something that's really wrong with the world and something that I call a chopped off finger and not a paper cut. So something that needs fixing, something that people won't just say, oh, that's interesting. Something that people will say, oh, I needed that so much. Why didn't somebody think of that before? And then you come up with that and you say, okay, here's my business. Now, in the mind of the entrepreneur, that business is 100% complete, but it's not, right? That business in reality is only 15 or 16% complete because it's impossible for it to be 100% if you've only just invented it or you've only just brought it into being. So what you want to do is you want to strive your every single minute of every single day to filling in the other pieces of that jigsaw puzzle. And in many times, that means searching for no as much as you're searching for yes. So, so you, what do you, you mean you by reach, that? Because you reach out to 15 clients and okay. 14 of those 15 clients say to you, it's not working. I don't like it. It's not perfect. I had a bad user experience. That's not moving backwards as an early stage startup that is moving for, forwards. So search for no's. Search for no's way more than yeses. If everybody gives you a yes, you have a huge, huge, huge problem. You want to search for no's. And every time you get a no, you want to embrace that no. And you want to find another piece of the jigsaw puzzle that makes that, that, that set more complete than it was the previous day. First time I've heard that. And I will be taking that to heart as well. Now. Just before we wrap this up with some quick questions, I would like to know what does the 
we've briefly like referenced the American dream, but what does the American dream represent to you now? Can anyone, and in all honesty, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, geography, age, socioeconomic status, achieve this dream? So I think there is no American dream. There is no English dream. There's no Irish dream. There is no dream. There's just what you can create for yourself. The world is a terribly unfair place. You come into it faced with disease and challenges and biases and everything that you could, could possibly happen to make a human being unhappy and life difficult. And if you embrace that and you say, okay, I understand everything is really unfair. Let me find out what I'm uniquely brilliant at. Not what I love. Forget about what I love. That's, that's not, that's a hobby. What am I uniquely brilliant at? And what can I become uniquely brilliant at? And then how can I make that a difference maker in my own life? And then you go after it with a gusto and you do not stop. And you become that beast of an entrepreneur that can actually build something great. All right, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. And I've learned so much in this time now, just so that listeners can get to know you a little bit better. What is the most recent film series you watched, podcast you listened to, or book you have read? So, you know, <laughs> I'm such a masochist. So I, I, I looked, so the, the, last, the last documentary I looked at was Theranos, uh, which is right. a really interesting story about a terrible, 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 um, you know, not a terrible person. If anybody wants to see everything bad about entrepreneurship, they should look at Theranos. And Theranos was this brilliant person who convinced the world that she was able to do something which was biologically impossible and was always going to be impossible. And everybody believed because money speaks louder than logic in many cases. And hundreds of millions of dollars were lost and she ended up going to jail after it. But it's a phenomenal journey to watch. I think it's on Netflix, but it's a great journey to watch for you to be able to understand how this world really works out. Um, podcast series, you know, I like guys like Gary Vaynerchuk. I think Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk's a really fun, interesting guy. Yeah. And you, you have to, he, and, and, and I like the fact that he built himself up, like he mm -hmm. started from nothing. He, he didn't believe, everybody else in his business believed they were in the wine game. He yeah. believed he was in the people game. And he realized that social media was going to be the future. Yeah, wine is going to be the future. And that's what I mean by reading the tea leaves, looking at current forces mm -hmm. that are driving towards future probabilities. He looked at social media when social media was starting and said, I don't need to own the wine business. I need to own the channel to the wine business, which is going to be social media. So you can learn a ton of stuff from Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, and I don't, so on, when it comes to books, I kind of listen to everything. So everything yeah. for me is trying to, and there's some wonderful folks who've written some good things out there. Um, Tim Draper has written a couple of good books, a venture capitalist up in uh, San Francisco. And um, there's a guy called Nir El, um, who's written a, a phenomenal book all about user experience and about how do how can you create addictive users to your experience. Um, oh yes, I also, I've seen that one. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, I like I like your homegrown uh, Simon Sinek, Simon mm -hmm. Sinek with the art of why and and how to start with why is just. Great, great, great reading. Okay. Uh, everything for, I'm a brand geek, so anything to me that's about user experience, okay. that's about building a phenomenal brand, that's about creating a great story, uh, I absolutely love. I'll definitely be checking all of those out. And what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Everything I've said today. <laughs> that's why I found everything it so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, ev everything. <laughs> everything. The great thing about the great thing about getting older. Yeah 
is that like you don't mind talking about this stuff. I mean, technically, what's really interesting, yeah. so I'll, I'll tell you like a quick interesting story, I suppose, just to top it off, mm -hmm. is that when I first came down to Santa Monica, I, I, and I'd been an entrepreneur for many years, but when I first came down to Santa Monica, I came to the realization of, yeah, my, everything is really terrible and, and it's super unfair. And it's actually like, I look at Black Lives Matters in startups, so I'm thinking actually, startup is not a racist space. It's like Elise's first. So it's got all of the ists. It's not just black people. It's Indian people. It's women people. It's, mm -hmm. it's people who don't go to Ivy League schools. It's so equally biased. It's awful. So and I kind of realized that. And I was talking to a buddy of mine and, um, and I, I said to him, hey, you know, I really want to get involved with bringing people forward in this space. Um, but I find it really hard to be an investor in this space when investing is in such a bad place. And, he, and, he, and we, I explained it and I told him why it was in a bad place. And he said to me, so if you believe that this is the case, then you should speak about it. And then I did the TEDx talk, which was about the kidnapping of the American dream yeah. and about how, yeah, you know, every, everything I talked about today, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, but, but here was a really amazing thing. I expected that as soon as I did that, that, I mean, I, maybe I had 50, 100 investor friends, just people I knew and, and were, were buddies of mine down here. Yeah. And I pretty much expected, like in that, in that talk, I call out kind of everybody for being racist, racist and sexist and, and, and I call them all out and I don't do it in a particularly nice way. And, yeah. and what happened at the end of the talk was rather than me having like 50 friends who were investors, I had three, 400. And what those people said to me was, look, obviously what you're saying is true and none of us would disagree with it, but we don't wake up in the morning wanting to be all of these things. We wake up in the morning wanting to be good people, but we want to make money. And we know that we can take an easy road, which is we get our blonde haired blue eyed boy who comes out of Stanford. We, we put him in a role. We know that all of the VCs that follow on are going to invest in that person. That's our road to money. And the other road is a very difficult road. And it means that our percentage chance of, of that being successful is far lower. So yeah, you can tell us to go there, but it's not that simple. So why don't you do something about it? And that's what, was le that's what led me then to saying, okay, let's start Expert Dojo. And let's see if we can create better success probabilities within early stage startup for investors so investors can make more money by doing the right thing. So we'll see where it goes. Incredible. So just to clarify, you did start this with um, obviously having that network ready or in place. Yeah. I mean, look, it's just me and my partner who yeah. did the investing. He's the limited partner. I'm the general okay. partner. Um, but we need those other people around yeah. so we can make sure that the companies can then progress afterwards. So, yeah, I knew all of those people. I just yeah. didn't really think they would support me. <laughs> well, luckily they did. Tell us about the biggest challenge you have overcome in your life. I'm a very optimistic person in general. Um, so there are challenges that I face, which are the same as everybody else. Look, as an entrepreneur, I have many, many, many times sat on a doorstep or by a wall or in a field with my hand like this thinking, I need to pay $5,000, $10,000, $100,000, $200,000 like, in the next hour and I have no money in my bank account. How am I going to do that? And, and not just once, and not just money, it would be, I, I'm, I need a great person to run this. Like I have to do a marketing campaign. I have no marketing person. I have to get to a new country, which has never been like just everything. But because I'm such an optimistic person, I believe that life is short and you have to, you have to enjoy it. And you've got to take every single massive encounter that comes at you 
and turn it into something which is almost a blessing. So, you know, thank you, God, for, you know, for letting me see like this amazing thing because I'm bigger and stronger and better. Like that's that's what this world is all about. So I've been very fortunate that I've not been faced with any real human calamity before their time. Um, and that's been a real blessing for me. And that's the only thing that would have knocked me off kilter. Other than that, everything in life is just a great lesson, which is there for us to overcome. And if we don't approach it that way, then we're going to find it very hard to be an entrepreneur in the first place. Great. And then just two more questions very quickly. Uh, this one's nice and easy. Maybe not. Of all the countries you have visited, which was your favorite and why? I love all of them for different reasons. Um, okay. And so there, there's like little pieces of... It's like saying, you know, who's your best friend of all these people? And then you, you go to one person because mm -hmm. it's got like the best overall emotion. But then you're like, okay, hang on a second. I love New York because New York is this place that you just stand in Grand Central Station and you just feel this rush. Like whatever, whatever someone who takes drugs must feel is what I feel when I walk into Grand Central Station. And I just, and I get this, 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 I can't even describe what it feels like. Um, or when I'm in Santa Monica and I walk by the beach at you know seven o'clock in the morning and I, and I count my blessings that I'm in such a beautiful place and I'm listening to Spotify and life is great. Or when I'm in Russia and I'm in St. Petersburg and I'm walking up and I'm looking at the Winter Palace, you know, and okay, it's November and it's freezing cold, but it's also the most beautiful place on the planet. Or I'm in the Forbidden Palace in um, or in uh, China, you know, just I, I just I really encourage everybody to enjoy the world if you can right now today like never before anybody can work from anywhere you can you can live in thailand as easy as you can live in malaysia as easy as you can live in budapest as easy as you can be in leeds like it doesn't matter but all of these places they have little memories that they leave with you that allows you just to live a better life great i totally agree with you and then what advice would you give to someone wishing to enter a career in investment? Oh, I think it's you should do it in, in a moment. We actually want to start. We want to start a kids investor club, right, for, for, our, for our kids, actually. Um, and you don't need to be rich to do this. You don't. You just need to be thoughtful to do it. And you don't need to give them a lot of money, maybe 500 pounds or something over a period of time. And remember, you're not giving that money to them. But what you're doing is you're helping them develop a healthy relationship with money. And what I talked about at the very beginning, which is wealth generators. We don't want to teach our kids to be spoiled little brats that are looking for Nike Jordans, which are $500 shoes every five seconds. But what we want to teach them to do is to be really respectful and understanding of money so that they can start a life without having all of the pressures that maybe we had when we started off at the beginning. So I think like you should start your kid early. And I don't even just mean in stocks. I mean, look for early stage startup businesses. Educate yourself on what makes a better one than from a worse one. Surround yourself with smarter people who understand different sectors. Do not, as an individual angel, ever try and invest in startups on your own. Do not do it because you don't know the rules and you don't know the game. You believe it's about great startups. It's not. It's about understanding how the game works and making sure that you're in a position that you can win the game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, everybody should, should invest in startup. Everybody should spread their bet. Everybody should start with small amounts. You should never invest more than 5% of your total portfolio money into an early stage startup. 
But if you get a winner, I said it earlier on, you can take $100,000, take $10,000. That $10,000, if that company became a billion-dollar company, is worth $20 million. Do we have $10,000 in our portfolio? Maybe, maybe not. But, but definitely, uh, it's, it's a heck of a lot better than sticking it in the bank. Great. I think you've given our listeners a lot of uh, things to think about. And I would like to thank you for agreeing to come onto the show, Brian. My pleasure. It was great, great to be here. Always happy to help. And anyone who wants to apply for the Accelerator can just apply at expertdojo.com. And I'm always very open to people. Anybody wants to reach out to me, it's just brian at expertdojo.com. Great. Thank you so, so much for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. And some super exciting news once again. There's always something new happening at Regeneration Studio and we now have our own app. You can get the podcast episodes, my rather amusing updates and some of the most important links straight to your phone. Abracadabra, you don't have to search on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts or Spotify anymore. You can just have it all in one place on your phone. No hassle, easy peasy. Download it now in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. And of course, a million thank yous to the awesome folks over at PodSquad for your podcast passion and for bringing this app alive. Any feedback, of course, from the listeners about the app will be greatly appreciated. Even so, if you enjoyed this narrative journey, I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also leave me a rating and review on Apple. By sharing this podcast episode and giving me a thumbs up on social media, these stories about entrepreneurs and community transformation can reach as many people as possible. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas.